It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. I'm Bill Hemmer. This is Hemmer Time. My guest today, Chad Pergram. Chad, welcome back to Hemmer Time. You have your finger on the pulse of Washington, D.C., like few others. So thanks well, for doing the capital. Yeah, well, um, <laughs> I would give you more credit than that. Chad, I'm going to ask you a lot of questions that you probably can't answer. And I say that because there's, it's a complicated matter right now. A lot of this testimony has been behind closed doors. So why don't we just take our listeners through it? And try and forecast where we think we are and where we think we might be headed. Is that fair? Absolutely. And and I think you're right. You know, a lot of times, and, you know, we do this on the air sometimes, Bill, we say something in a live shot, and we say, you know, well, we don't know where this is going, and that's just kind of a throwaway line. But in this news environment, specifically with impeachment and Syria and Turkey— we really don't. That's not a throwaway line. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, you're yeah. right. There's a lot of questions we can't answer. So Mitch McConnell made a comment earlier in the week. I guess he was it was at a luncheon, I believe. I think it was Wednesday when he apparently laid out a potential schedule for the impeachment proceeding. And, and it, it wasn't it, so much a schedule. It, but, uh, but it struck me, Chad, that if you listen to his comments, he's convinced that the House is going to go forward with the vote and then it will come to the Senate. D- did I did I get the right read on that? Uh, about three-quarters of that. Uh, Mitch McConnell is obviously planning uh, the secret over the recess. They had a recess from late September till about mid-October, uh, was that uh, his aides were meeting behind the, the, the scenes to figure out, you know, what an impeachment trial would look like. You know, we've only done this with a president twice, uh, you know, in history, once 20 years ago with, with President Clinton. And so he has been preparing behind that. I asked uh, the Senate Minority Leader, Chuck Schumer, if he had had conversations with McConnell about how that would look. And the reason I asked that question was in 1999, the Senate was very disappointed. And this is a Republican-controlled Senate in 1999 with President Clinton, how the Republican House had run things with the impeachment of President Clinton. And so Trent Lott and Tom Daschle, the two Senate leaders, they got all 100 senators together and they formed a set of rules. Now, there are standing impeachment rules in the Senate. They're not actually standing rules of the Senate, but they're they're kind of interpreted that way to kind of set up this agreement on how they would proceed in a Senate trial. And I asked McConnell, excuse me, I asked Schumer whether or not he had had those conversations with McConnell and would there be an agreement like dot uh, like uh, Trent Lott and, and Dashiell forged uh, 20 years ago and, and he said no nothing at all so that's the thing to watch and what McConnell was reciting and I think this is you know there those Senate rules talk about you start every day at one o'clock in the afternoon six days a week and so on he's absolutely right about this but Bill I've covered Mitch McConnell for a long time and I've learned to listen very closely and parse his language because he usually says exactly what he means. And what I mean by that is he said some weeks ago, he said we would probably have to take it up, but it's unclear how long we would be on it. That's right. And what's what's not clear here, now it does take a supermajority, 67, not 60, but 67 votes to alter some of those Senate impeachment rules. But what is not written down is that once you get into it and you actually start and you present the articles of impeachment to the Senate, which involves bringing the managers, the prosecutors over from the House of Representatives to present the case and presenting the articles, reading them aloud before the Senate. Once you've done that, you can do about anything. And let's let history be our guide. In 1999, Robert Byrd, 
the famous senator from West Virginia, probably one of the most five influential senators in the history of the body, he wanted to try to dismiss the charges against President Clinton. And had it been any other senator other than Byrd, because that ran afoul of the of the, the Lott and Daschle agreement, uh, they probably wouldn't have liked that in the Senate. But it's Robert Byrd. And a motion to dismiss only takes a simple majority, 51. And you could see, because there are such ardent defenders of President Trump in the Senate, that somebody could try to dismiss uh, the charges Very or possible. dismiss the trial. Uh, at the risk of getting ahead of ourselves here, Chad, I will recall 10 days ago in a Facebook posting, uh, it was about a week and a half ago when Mitch McConnell said, as long, I'm paraphrasing, as long as I am majority leader, there will be no impeachment. That's essentially what he said. And then you can call this number and give me money. Um, that, that was a fundraising message that he sent out. Right. That, if you're telling me that Mitch McConnell always indicates where he is going, that pretty much tells me that the time they spend on this in the Senate will be minimal. Am I wrong? It, it could very well be. And the fact that heretofore there has not been that conversation between Schumer and McConnell, a la what happened with Dodd, I'm sorry, Dashlin and Lott uh, 20 years ago, is significant. Uh, now, maybe that would still happen. We don't know. But we still think we are some weeks, if yeah. not months, away you, from you, the House. You, you made a really interesting point there. That was a Republican majority in the Senate right. in 1998-1999. How much time do you recall between the House voting to impeach? Did the Senate take it up and then dismiss it? It was within about a, a two-month period, and here's why. You had uh, the that's, holidays. That's longer than I recall. Yeah, but, but part of that's because of the holidays. So, so you had the Articles of Impeachment approved against President Clinton in late 1998. I remember it was a Saturday just before Christmas. The House approved two of the four articles. So then everybody went away from Christmas, and they started in early uh, January. I think it was the 7th of January of 1999. Again, you create a new Congress at that point because, you know, you had the midterm elections in 98. So this is a new new group in 1999. And they so they usually start per the Constitution on the 3rd of January when con- the new Congress starts. And so just a couple of days later, the, the 7th is when they started. And by the end of the month, uh, they had basically finished. So they took about a month with okay. the Senate. Trial. All right. Let's talk about present day now in this whistleblower. Do you believe we will ever hear testimony from the whistleblower, him or herself. That is very unclear because there are still a lot of conversations off stage about how they would do that, uh, chatter about maybe having the whistleblower testify by telephone, and there is actually some precedent uh, for doing that and some rules for doing that in the House of Representatives. They're very concerned about the identity of the whistleblower. And here's the interesting thing, Bill, when you talk to the Democrats, especially those involved in this investigation on the Intelligence Committee and, and Oversight and, and Foreign Affairs Committees, they will tell you from their perspective that they are past the whistleblower. In other words, they have the partial transcript of the call. And so even though the whistleblower may have been the prime mover and you've had Republicans trying to call into question the validity and the political motivations of the whistleblower, uh, they're saying, you know, we don't need that. Yes, that is important. We, you know, we'd like to hear from them, maybe, but it's not as important. And, you know, the other question here is what were the contacts between Intelligence Committee staff back in July uh, between the whistleblower and the staff that, Why is that important? Well, well because, because maybe, you know, that was the first awareness that people in any of the universes may have had about what was going on here, perhaps even before... 
uh, they went to the inspector general in the intelligence community. So that's important as well. Right. So maybe the, the, you know, the was there some information making, on Capitol Hill? The point you're making is that you may not, if, if you have the transcript of the phone call, you could go ahead and vote um, your preference based on the transcript. But right. what, what, what Republicans would say is it's ludicrous to think that you could impeach a president and keep a whistleblower confidential. They would argue it's ludicrous that you could impeach a president and accept written answers from the person who made the initial claim. Now, is is that legitimate? Well, and that's why, you know, they really have been hammering on this issue of process here, saying that they don't have full access to the documents yet. They don't have access to the witnesses. And, and you know, they would interpret the whistleblower as one as one witness here. That's important. Um you know, impeachment is always a political decision. Even the founders, if you read some of the things that Alexander Hamilton wrote about impeachment, they viewed it as a political decision. One of the things that Newt Gingrich, the Speaker of the House, suggested when they impeached President Clinton, he was asked, uh, you know, why are they doing this? And he said, because we can. So it is always a political question. And yes, I, you know, members of Congress from both sides of the aisle view this in a very serious fashion, that, you know, that you're trying to undo an election. Uh, but it's always going to be hyperloaded with politics. And mm. that's why I think the conversation between Trent Lott and Tom Daschle 20 years ago was so important, because I remember reading articles saying, well, it's amazing that they came to this agreement in a hyperpolarized environment. Well, Bill, what are we in now? Mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I mean, that's, that's, that's remarkable. V- very true. A couple, yeah, things, couple things happened this past week. Adam Schiff sent a letter and made it public. And one of the things that stuck out in my mind is that he said at some point there will be a public hearing. Right. Now, this has been debated. Can you confirm that at some point that will happen? That's something that, uh, you know, it seems that they would go in that direction. And House Speaker Nancy Pelosi has even suggested that at some point, if that's what Schiff wants to do. Again, going back to the, the, the modern model for presidential impeachments in 1998 and 99, uh, there was a hearing. Before mm-hmm. the House Judiciary Committee, where they brought in the then, uh, you know, special counsel, Ken Starr, independent counsel in those days, slightly different term of art there, but but not much, and, and some reasons why it was different, and had him present the case against President Clinton. And then you heard from the president's folks, and then they went to mark up articles of impeachment. The, the, so reason, you, so you why, see that the reason why that's so important is because all these hearings have been behind closed doors, Chad. And, yes, and, 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 and what you picked up on in the past week is that Republicans believe the following. They believe because you can do the testimony behind closed doors in private that you can also choose which leaks you want to make public. And that's always the challenge covering intelligence here on Capitol Hill is because you have these things happening. And you, anytime I cover any intelligence issue, like we had the issues with the NSA some years ago, you can only rely on what you are told because you don't have as a reporter – access to what's said behind closed doors. And I want to make a point about one thing you said, and I think this, I mean, it's a technicality, but it's a very important issue. You said these these hearings that they're having, well, these have either been transcribed interviews or depositions, and they are different in congressional parlance than a hearing, but it's important, and here's why. Because when they do that, you know, you're gathering information that may lead to a public hearing. And, and what the Democrats will say, at least this is their line, In the case of President Nixon and in the case of President Clinton, you had independent counsels, uh, Archibald Cox and Ken Starr, who did all the work for 
Congress and then presented this to the Congress and they took their work and they had, you know, like I said, minimal hearings and then they went ahead writing articles of impeachment. Here, they're not taking Robert Mueller's work. We're into a different silo of information here, even though those silos may be cousins, Ukraine and Russia. And so while most of this work is in the Ukraine silo, very little of it dealt with Robert Mueller. So they're having to be, again, if you talk to Adam Schiff, he'll tell you this, that that they are doing the work of the independent counsel because that doesn't exist in this model right now. And they're saying if Bill Barr, the attorney general, was really on the ball, he would have appointed an independent counsel to look into this issue. And that hasn't happened. Okay, so, so just, just to complete the circle on the previous statement here, the idea is that you have selective leaks, you yes. shape public opinion, perhaps you move the polls as well, and then... A month from now, bam, you present your case. Do you see that as a likely path? That's very possible. I think that they, they sped up the timeline as soon as they realized that they were not getting information from the administration. And the administration threw up these roadblocks saying we weren't going to cooperate, that that accelerated the timetable. Uh, the House Majority Leader, Steny Hoyer, this week said that he hoped that this would be wrapped up in months, sooner rather than later. And when asked by the end of the year, he said, that would be my hope. Now, again, Nancy Pelosi was asked, you know, what about if this drifts into an election year next year? You know, why not then just say, okay, let's wipe our hands of this and let the voters decide. She said, no, 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 this is about the Constitution. Those are two separate things. And so Pelosi has refused to put a timeline on this, meaning when they get the facts or the information. But you could see where this this accelerated, because if the administration says they're not going to cooperate, if you look at the five articles of impeachment, which were considered by the House Judiciary Committee against Nixon in 74, Article 3 dealt with obstruction of Congress. And if you're not getting the information you need, then that could be an article unto itself. And you could very well see that. I mean, you know, the Democrats might tell you that we've got that already. Mm. The other bit of news I think that uh, is important to think about over the past week was when Speaker Pelosi, uh, I think she told you this, right? Um, the Fox News Channel was told that uh, there will be no vote right now to formally launch the impeachment right. probe. I tried now, to pin her down on yeah, that. Yeah, so let, let's let's dig into this a little bit here, because the conventional wisdom is that she doesn't want to force 31 Democrats who won election in 2018 in a Trump district and doesn't want them to go on record, at least for now. Right. Now, is that conventional wisdom smart, or is there more to the story? Two points. That was indeed the thought a couple of weeks ago. And Republicans have been pushing for this, number one, because I think they want to, you know, you know, have the process, you know, akin to what happened in 99 or, or 74. OK, that's fine. But there are some people you talk to on the Democratic side of the aisle who say, you know, this vote could be weaponized against Republicans. And I think what Pelosi's trying to do is say, OK, sh she's very good, Bill, at letting an issue ripen. And letting it kind of sit out there and simmer and then it starts to get hotter and then she puts it on the, you know, puts it ready, you know, it's ready to go, you know, that sort of thing. And so maybe that's what she's doing a little bit here without, you know, you know, tipping her hand. This is why this could be a problem for Republicans. And you're absolutely right. This could be a problem for those Democrats in those 31 Trump uh, represented districts. That's a problem. And that's why some of them are like, yeah, you know, I might be for proper oversight and an investigation, but I don't know where I am on impeachment yet. Okay, but for Republicans, imagine Democrats having that vote and saying, "Okay, we're going to put your money where your mouth is." Uh, Republicans, you want process? We'll give you process. 
And then those vulnerable Republicans, they have to vote for that. And if they vote for it, well, then they probably draw a primary challenge and simultaneously draw the ire of the president of the United States who won't help them in their reelection. Or if they vote against it, the Democrats have then documented a vote and say, can you believe that these vulnerable Republicans mm-hmm. are there willing to defend the president yeah, d- over such you, egregious, egregious Ch- things? Chad, you talk to a lot of people. Do you believe there will be a vote? I would put it at about 80% right 80, now. 80-20, okay. Yeah. The reason I bring that up, you know, we went down this Russian rabbit hole for a few years, and I, I don't know where we're left after that, but um, there wasn't a lot to chew on after the Mueller report came out. Right. And then Mueller testifies on July 24th, I do believe. And then on July 25th, this phone call happened with the Ukrainian president. Jay Sekulow was on television about a week ago. And uh, he's the attorney for the president, one of the attorneys for the president. And he said, he said, they will not vote this week. They won't vote next week. There will never be a vote. And I, I hang on to that because a lot of what Seculo said about how this Russia thing's going to unfold, he turned out to be right. And so when he speaks now, I think it has more, it holds more weight. And, and so I, the, the question then to be posed is, Seculo right again, that there will not be a vote? And again, to distinguish for the audience two things, a vote to codify the impeachment inquiry and then votes later to potentially actually impeach the president on articles of impeachment. Those are two distinct animals, two separate types of roll call votes. So just so everybody's clear on that. Here's here's an interesting moment that happened this week that might speak to this, Bill. On Tuesday, this was the first time the House had been back in, in two weeks, uh, the Capitol was buzzing that the Democrats were going to have a caucus meeting first thing when they got back that evening, which is very rare. And everybody thought that maybe what they're going to do is she's going to announce that she's going to have a vote. She said she wanted to talk to her members first. Okay, so everybody's thinking, okay, that's what she's going to do. Then she announces she's going to have a press conference at 630. Again, extremely rare. So everybody says, okay, that must be where they're going to announce it. So I was talking to members coming out of her leadership meeting if that was what the plan was. And they said, if that is, she has held her cards very close to her vest. So then we're all sitting in the press briefing room waiting for the speaker, and it comes out that, no, there will not be a vote. And by the way, Adam Schiff is going to show up. So Pelosi starts the press conference, and she talks about firearms, the USMCA, prescription drug costs, college tuition costs, you name it. Schiff comes into the room, and she hands off to Schiff, and Pelosi goes and sits in the front row with the press corps, deferring everything, except my question that you talked about, to Adam Schiff. Now, one of two things might be going on there. Number one, Pelosi trying to show both to her members and the public, yes, we're doing impeachment, but we have other serious policy issues that we are addressing and we can walk and chew gum at the same time. Number two, was she completely punting to Schiff to have him stand up there and say, of course, I'm deferring to my committee chairs, Or was this a way to kind of say, all right, Adam, ball's in your court. Don't screw this up. And if you do, it's not on me. Uh, I think that was a very symbolic act by the speaker. Actions speak louder than words. And her sitting in the front row with the press and not standing shoulder to shoulder with Adam Schiff. I I think oftentimes you pick up information and and when you look back in time, by the way, you're with Chad Pergram here, Fox News Capitol Hill producer and reporter and 
uh, really knows Washington in and out, and that's the voice we're listening today. And Chad, thank you again for your time. Uh, you you some you, you get these data points where when the story moves on, you think back about oh, I remember this now. That's why this makes sense. And oftentimes that happens in long ongoing stories such as this. I'm going to get to one more point here, Chad, sure. and maybe there's an anecdote that comes up to your, in, on your mind here as we, uh, as we conclude our conversation here. The IG report is not out. The Inspector General report by Michael Horowitz was, it was thought to be out a month ago. This on all, FISA. Yeah, uh, that's right. On FISA. the FISA court. This goes back to the election of 2016. What I can tell you is that it's not coming out this week. It's likely not coming out next week. But I can tell you that is it is in the declassification process, which means it's almost ripe and almost ready. I don't know when. You don't either. None of us do. But the declassification process is when the Department of Justice and the FBI get together and they go over the information and they say what can be made public and what should be redacted. So that's the final phase here, Chad before that IG report goes public. And we don't know how that may or may not intersect with the current inquiry that we've been talking about. And remember, do you, do you that's have a, a theory as to how that happens? Or right. And that's, a, and that's a review of what happened in 2016. And that's where you could see that that changes the contour of where we're going with this impeachment inquiry because we're looking back at 2016. And maybe there are damning things in there about how Democrats handled these things, the DNC, Peter Strzok, Lisa Page, the FBI. I mean, there are you know significant, substantial questions which have still not been answered on that score. And, you know, you could see that's where, you know, now some Republicans, frankly, there have been some who've said maybe Republicans are, are putting too much emphasis on that and putting all, you know, you know, all their money on that FISA report completely blowing up what they're doing on impeachment. Maybe that's true. I don't know. But... Uh, that is going to be very serious when that comes out and uh, will deserve a lot of attention because, again, it speaks to some of the very issues of what happened in 2016. You, you know, and, and this this is the, a little bit of the problem for the Republicans is that they're always saying, well, the Democrats want to go back and relitigate the 2016 election. Well, even if the FISA report uh, demonstrates, you know, some pretty bad abuses there that tried to benefit candidate Clinton. Uh, Republicans then are, frankly, relitigating the 2016 election. That's a problem. Yeah. You know, that's not consistent in that regard. Listen, there was so much more to cover, and we just, uh, believe it or not, we just touched on it. <laughs> uh, Chad, thank you so much for your time, and uh, stay at it down there. My uh, pleasure. Anytime. You've got your hands filled every day. And just so our listeners know, you send more emails than any other person on staff. <laughs> I don't know if that's a good thing. No, it's a good thing. <laughs> it's a good thing because you're our eyes and ears that walk in those hallways down there. So thank you, Chad. Stay at it and hope to talk to you again real soon. Thank you, Bill. You bet. Chad Pergram, Fox News extraordinaire producer and reporter from Capitol Hill. Thanks, Chad. I'm Bill Hemmer. This is Hemmer Time. Listen to the all-new Brett Bear podcast featuring Common Ground, in-depth talks with lawmakers from opposite sides of the aisle, along with all your Brett Bear favorites like his all-star panel and much more. Available now at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts.